Hey there, and thank you for joining me, Lucy Hutchings Hunt, for my podcast, Live the Change. My goal is to bring you powerful and authentic conversations from inspiring global business voices, helping to share these fascinating stories about the magic and rewards that heart-led leadership brings fuels my personal mission to support and motivate as many fellow business owners and entrepreneurs as possible. Are you ready to get honest, step out of your comfort zone and step into your best heart-led business self? Sure you are. And if you're not ready just yet, keep listening to my guests' inspiring stories about how they personally live the change and you soon will be. Good morning and welcome back to the Live the Change podcast with me, Lucy Hutchings Hunt. Today I am speaking with Janet Hansen, who is a globally sought after divorce and narcissistic recovery coach. I met her on Instagram, probably getting on for a couple of years ago now, and I absolutely love everything she posts. I find it fascinating. She's dedicated to guiding men and women through one of life's most traumatic emotional events, divorce. Janet's quest is to banish the stigma that still surrounds divorce and prove that the end of a marriage can be the most empowering, life-changing and affirming event ever to happen to you. Janet also helps those who have suffered from narcissistic abuse and trauma. This could be from a partner, a friend, a sibling, a parent or a work colleague or a boss. Narcissistic abuse is a dark and confusing journey, often occurring over many years. Victims sometimes don't even realise what is happening. They're unaware that their abuser is using an armory of abusive, manipulative techniques and gradually they get chipped away at their very being. They start to feel dehumanised and basically they're just feeding the supply of the narcissist disorder. This was all absolutely fascinating to me, by the way, when I started following Janet and um, started to really help me unlock some things that happened to me in the past which is one of the reasons why I was so excited to be speaking to her on this podcast today. Janet's coaching experience coupled with her own divorce and narcissistic abuse experience enables her to develop coaching programs designed to help individuals transform their lives by taking back control of their minds and equipping them with the strategies and tools they need to successfully deal with divorce and narcissistic abuse enabling them to navigate and cope with their journey with positivity and confidently transitioning into the next phase of their lives. Janet specialises in divorces involving narcissistic abuse, high conflict, divorce in later life and expat divorces. So without further ado, let's crack on and listen to the interview that I did with Janet. I hope that it helps some of you. And if God willing, not too many of you are going through high impact divorces or narcissistic abuse. But if you are, I strongly urge you to reach out to Janet because she will be able to help. Okay, let's crack on with the show. Hello, Janet, are you there? I'm there, yes. Hi. Hello. And Hi. where are you there? Where, is, where are you speaking to me from? I'm you're... actually speaking to you from Wales. You're in yeah. Wales? Because the last yes. time I spoke to you, you were in... Switzerland. Um, Switzerland, that's right. I know that, because I, I saw on Instagram that you were celebrating your mother's 100th birthday. Mm, yes, I know, but, which was yesterday, but I couldn't see her because I've only just come back. So I'm isolating and I couldn't travel to her anyway. So that was a shame. I know. Yeah. So she's not the reason. Is she in Wales or is she? No, no, she lives in the Midlands. So I haven't seen her, but I saw a video of her yesterday. So that was really good. 
Oh. oh, well, it's good that you made it back to the UK, but you do live in, in Switzerland as well, don't you? Yeah, so I went to Switzerland for Christmas because uh, my ex-husband was Swiss and so the children, that's where we spend Christmas. So I got back there, but then it got increasingly difficult to get back here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's also a sort of question mark as to whether one would want to go back to Britain. But obviously you made that decision and you've done it now. <laughs> yeah, I've done it now. Yes, yeah. I actually <laughs> live it. <laughs> it's quite a complicated life that I lead. I actually live in Cyprus, but I couldn't get back there either. So that's why I came here in the end. But it is a crazy time. I mean, I think I told you before when we spoke that um, my children are currently in the UK because they were meant to be going back to boarding school in January. And obviously mm-hmm. I live in France. And you know, now that there's been a decision made that the schools are definitely not reopening, it's a case of trying to get them out here, but it has to coincide with when it's convenient for their dad and all of that kind of stuff. So it's just, I mean, the myriad of problems are, you know, and everyone's an individual. Are yeah. Crazy. And, you know, especially when you've, you've got this kind of a relationship with your children and with your ex all in different countries. So it's really a lot of balls in the air that you're trying to catch and some you catch, some you don't. Yes. Yes. And I definitely felt like I dropped a few balls this month, but hopefully it's all coming together again, but we'll see. Well, listen, thank you for coming onto my podcast and talking to me today. So I'm excited to be uh, sharing with everyone that's listening what you've got to say, because it's, it's a subject that's quite close to my heart, you know, dealing with, with narcissists, basically. So you're, you're not only a divorce coach, but you help people heal from narcissistic abuse. Is that right? Yes. So the two things. Yeah. So it, yeah. that's, it's not just um, people who are divorcing. It's been anybody who's suffered or is suffering from narcissistic abuse. Yeah. yeah. It, it's starting to become a bit more widely known as a personality disorder that people can then identify as the root cause of the problems in a relationship they might be having, isn't it? Yes, because it's something, you know, I, I worked in the health industry and I'd never, I kind of heard it banding around, but I'd never really knew about it. And it was only after my relationship with a narcissist that I put all the dots together and knew what it was all about. But of course, the incidence is always, they say it's about between 1% and 6% of the population. But it's difficult to know because they, they don't know anything's wrong with them, so they don't go for a diagnosis. But it is actually now an official the um, recognised cluster B personality disorder if you're right at the end of the spectrum of narcissism because there is a spectrum. Mm. If someone came to you saying, you know, I think my husband, boyfriend, mother, whoever is a narcissist and I'm really struggling, what would you say to them? Like, Well, first of all, I'd explain that there is a spectrum. You know, you can have a controlling person who isn't necessarily a narcissist, but is very controlling. And you can have some people at the very beginning of the narcissism spectrum who are actually uh, mildly self-centered. But then when you get to the end of the spectrum, they're actually sort of malignant and, and do have serious functional problems. So first of all, with a person who's suffered, we actually find out where they are on that spectrum, if they're on that spectrum. So I have a sort of um, a whole list of behavioural issues that I will probe that person for. So I'll take a long time just hearing their story and asking them to describe situations to me so that I can assess where on that scale, if they're on that scale they are. It could be that it's just a controlling person. When you say when you assess whether they're on that scale, you don't mean them because it's it wouldn't be the narcissist that was coming to you. Oh, no, no. Yeah. No, no, it would be the, the person in their life that is a narcissist that they suspect is a narcissist. And that can be a, a parent, could even be 
um, somebody in the workplace or a partner. Could be yeah. a husband or just a partner. Yeah. I remember when I first really started to understand what narcissism was because I, I had a very peculiar situation in my working life. I started working for this chap and I just thought he was amazing to begin with. He, you know, really inspired me. He was an amazing rhetorical leader and, you know, speaker. And he was, he was pretty inspiring. And then I worked with him and over the course of about six months, just things just started to not really sit right. And the scales sort of were dropping away from my eyes and things just weren't adding up. And he would say things and then he would lie a lot. And anyway, it was so confusing. I was utterly confused, but I did a lot of reading around it because I was trying to work out what was going on. I, I was trying to work out, I thought maybe there was something wrong with me, but I ended up diagnosing him as, as a narcissist. I mean, obviously that was my diagnosis, but it really helped me when I stood back from the situation to understand what had happened because it was so confusing for the period of time that I was working for him. Yeah, because they're very charismatic characters, If they're, especially if they're at the end of that scale and they're NPD. You know, they're, they're two, almost two persons, really. It's a bit schizophrenic. So I call it the charmer and the harmer. And the first thing you'll ever see is the charmer for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But they can't keep that mask on for that long. So eventually, as you found, that mask starts to slip. And first of all, you think you're imagining it. and But you have a kind of a feeling in your gut, gut instinct, that it's not all sitting quite as it should. And then you'll begin to think, well, is it me? You know, is, you know, have I got a problem? Because that's really what they want you to think. So a lot of them are extremely successful as well because of that character that they've got. They're very good in business. So if you want to find somebody to reorganize a company, uh, that's, your per- that's the person because they're great because they don't have any empathy or compassion. So, you know, if they have to make lots of people redundant, that that's the person for the job. Well, you've just named the exact situation that I was in. So I I was working for somebody who was the CEO of a, of a large organization and he'd been called in to do exactly that, to restructure mm. something that had been sort of floundering. And, and he was doing exactly that, just cutting through swathes of the employee workforce. And and I would say on some levels, enjoying it even. <laughs> yes, no, because to them, it's a great, you know, that's success. They're managing, you know, they're actually implementing this, something that nobody else could probably have done in their mind. And of course, that impresses, you know, even as a CEO, there is a board that's probably overseeing it. So they actually go on to bigger and greater things from it. And that's what they want to do. They see that as another step in the ladder to where they, the ultimate place that they've got in their mind that they want to end up. So they're ruthless. That's how I call them ruthless. But yet seemingly to the people saying how awful they feel doing it, they're very clever, sort of showing a false compassion and a false empathy that they haven't got to be seen, you know, because their ego is everything and the perception of the people is everything. So whilst doing what they're doing, they still need to have the the charmer in place to for everybody to admire what a great job they're doing with compassion. And that therein lies the bit where one often gets caught out because you can, like you said, you, you know, as the sort of somebody that's, that's questioning the narcissist behavior and thinking, hang on a sec, this isn't right, or this isn't adding up. And then I remember, you know, after six months sort of just sitting down and I started to keep contemporaneous notes because my father-in-law is a, a lawyer and he said, just start keeping notes, Lucy, because that way you'll be able to look back and understand what's happened and, and it might be quite useful. And it was very useful at some point when I got made redundant. 
I, I was able to bring out my contemporaneous notes. And I, um, <laughs> but um, what was really interesting was that I, that there were people around me and he was perceived entirely differently by different people. So, you know, if he wanted to charm someone and he'd chosen not to show them a certain side of him, they could quite easily, they were literally like, what are you talking about, Lucy? Like, we just don't know the person that you're describing, you know, and that then makes you question your own sanity because you're thinking, maybe I've just got this all wrong and maybe I'm just neurotic or, you know, and it, it's, it starts to become almost maddening. Yeah, and that's the same in a relationship too. Often um, clients that I've been talking to who are going through a divorce with and their friends actually say, well, you must be mad to divorce this person. They're wonderful. They're marvellous. You've got the most perfect marriage because to all intents and purpose, they do have because that's the image that he wants to or she wants to project to the outside world. And in a way, as a partner, you've enabled that because you've gone along with that. So then you do think it's you and also narcissist because of that feeling that they have to have this image, well, then when a relationship breaks down or they've made somebody redundant who's calling them, they'll start a smear campaign about them to discredit them, to make sure that nobody's going to listen to them and believe them. Mm. And that's what happened to me, actually, this, the smear campaign. And that was the most galling thing because it was yeah. just so, it, you know, it was so utterly just hurtful. It was hurtful, but it was just utterly bizarre, the things that he'd said. Anyway, that aside, I, I, I won't go down that because we'll all be crying in about 10 minutes mm. if I carry on. <laughs> but what was very interesting for me in that experience was that until I'd met that particular man, I genuinely thought that everyone got out of bed and tried to make the world a better place on some level or at least not make the world a worse place every day. Do you know what I mean? I, I was yeah. so naive. I, I really thought that... That was what everyone was like. And it was only when I worked for that guy, I suddenly realized that there are actually really some terrible people in this world. Yes. And that was a shock <laughs> to me too, because, you know, you always kind of think the best of people and you never really think you've, even though I'd kind of heard of the term, I didn't really think people like that existed. I thought it was something people wrote about. But when you become aware of it, they're all acting the same way. They have a certain behavioural pattern that they will all follow. Certainly now with my clients, I can actually tell them what's going to happen next because mm. it's almost casebook the way that they operate. You mentioned that you'd had a, have, that the reason that you do this is that you had an experience of being in a relationship with someone who's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about that and what, what that sort of ended up with you doing? Yes, it was something that um, started, um, it's all, you know, with the love bombing phase, as I call it. It's, there's three phases to it. There's the love bombing, there's the discredit, and then there's the discard. And this can happen over six months, 20 years, 30 years. So I sort of thought that I'd met the man of my dreams. There was the person in front of me was the one for me. And they're very clever about that because they actually make themselves into that person. So they've actually interviewed you without you knowing and found out what traits you would want to have in the most perfect person. And so they become that person and they do a lot of things to make you 
believe that you have an amazing future with them. And that's something called future faking, where they'll actually paint this picture in your mind of you're going to live happily ever after. Uh, you're going to have this, that. You're going to live here. You'll have this. You don't need to worry about anything anymore. So you actually buy into it. And they're very quick move you through that stage because of their personality. It's what we talked about before with the mask. They can't keep it up too long. So within a couple of months of meeting a person like that, certainly with me, you know, suddenly you're very committed to them. You know, you're moving in with them and you've kind of put yourself everything into it, everything. You give up lots of things. You can even move country, lose contact with your best friends, lose contact with your family because they've sucked you in with the charmer. It's almost like I call it a spider's web. You know, they get you in there. And once you're in there, it's very difficult to, to get out. So it, for me, it was a gradual realization that in my gut, something wasn't quite right. I thought it was maybe a cultural problem, a language issue, but you kind of know it's not right. But then suddenly when you're questioning yourself and you think, well, it must be me. It must be, I, I must be provoking this kind of behavior because when you've gone past the love bombing phase, you're into this sort of phase where they're actually um, discrediting you, chipping away at your self-esteem. So you actually think, well, you know, can this really be happening? And when you get to the lowest point where you think, oh, this isn't right, the trauma will come back in because they, they're gauging your reactions all the while. And if you, if they think that you're getting to really realize what they're like, the charmer comes back and then you think, oh, okay, it was, it was me. It was just a phase. It must be stress at work or something. You're finding, you're in denial because the brain functions that way. The brain really wants you not to face the reality of what's happening. So you rationalize it in your mind, you find excuses for them. And they use a lot of manipulative techniques to almost get you codependent and trauma bonded. Some people are very trauma bonded to it. Um, so it happens over time that your whole self-esteem is chipped away out quite often. You know, you'll, you'll give up work because they persuaded you to. So you won't, you'll be in a different place. You can't talk to your family and friends. They kind of isolate you in a way because it's all about control. And it's all about feeding their ego because they have a, an exaggerated sense of self-importance. And because of their make up the way that their brain works. They don't actually have empathy or compassion. So when you're thinking, well, surely they can't treat me this way. They don't really think this. What you don't realize is that, you know, their left-hand side of the brain had an empathy bypass. You know, they have their gray matter on their left-hand side, which deals with, you know, the regulation of emotion, compassion, and empathy just isn't there. They're compensating that in other ways for their personality, which is actually underneath. They're quite a vulnerable person who have lots of self-doubt and lots of issues. That's, you know, if they were born that way, other ways narcissists can actually um, become narcissists by the way that they were brought up. So they could have a parent who was a narcissist themselves. So they actually took on that behavior, or it can be a parent who, what I call helicopter parenting, who was too involved with them and then gave them great expectations that they felt they always had to live up to. So quite often I found there is a narcissist in the family um, somewhere too, if they've not got this difference in the left-hand side of the brain. So, you know, for me, I didn't realize at all and until I'd actually got to the discard phase when the relationship ended 
that I had had a relationship with a narcissist because I'd never joined the dots up before. Mm. And I remember I was seeing a counsellor and she gave me the word and I went away and looked it all up and everything. It was like the biggest relief, you know, off my shoulders because I realised, well, it wasn't me. He actually had a problem. You know, he had a diagnosable cluster B um, psychological mental disorder. So it wasn't me. And that was a great revelation to me. But obviously, I wish I'd known that before because I could have removed myself from that relationship uh, a lot earlier because it was very damaging to me as a person and really broke down lots of things within me about my self-esteem, things I didn't think I was capable of doing anymore. Luckily, I'm quite a strong person anyway, so I probably fared better than some people would. So that's kind of my story. And then because, you know, my my experience in the healthcare industry, I really, really researched it, really, really spent lots and lots of time learning all about it. And then I took um, a course, an accreditation in divorce coaching and then decided that I wanted to help other people who'd been in the same situation as me realize what they're in. And there are lots of strategies to work with a narcissist to actually down dial because sometimes you can't leave them. You can't discard them because maybe there's children involved or something or it's not the right time to do it. So there's lots of, you know, you can't leave them if you're working for them, for instance, or if it's a parent, you probably don't want to. So I have lots of strategies that I can work with people to actually stop giving the narcissist supply because that's what it's all about. The narcissist needs supply. And if you stop giving it, then they're going to stop all the awful things they do to you. The awful thing about that is they're probably going to find somebody else to do that with because they need that supply. But, you know, once you understand the manipulator, you can actually manipulate them too. So it's giving people the toolbox that they can actually use so that they're not trauma bonded, they're not codependent, and they actually know and realise that they can stop this and it's not them. I think it's such important work that you're doing. You know, I, I I touched on the experience that I had with the boss and that for me was so, it was such a profound experience in my life, but that was a boss, do you know what I mean? And I actually worked for him, I think it was for seven months in the end because after six months I was made redundant. But what was quite interesting, so I was his PA and I found out afterwards that he'd had five PAs in 18 months. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is a pattern to them as well. Yeah. And, and that's that's a good, you know, whenever you suspect one, start to look at the history because there will be a I just stayed the longest. One. I just stuck it out the longest. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he told me such terrible stories about his previous <laughs> PA and how she'd she'd managed to um get his, you know, it was all because of her that he'd lost his driver's driving license for a year because she'd been, you know, like hiding all the, the letters. And, you know, just I felt so sorry for him to begin with. I was like, oh, this poor man, you know, he's this terrible PA who worked there for him. And it was only afterwards that I just realised it was, I was just a, the next one in the long line of of people that sort of were discarded, as you say, just discarded. And and um, actually I'd stuck it out for quite a long time. And But he was somebody that I could let go of. And, you know, although it really hurt and it was profoundly enlightening to know that there were people like that in the world it toughened me up to, on some level at least I could just go do you know what I'm gonna close a door on that and just try never to work for anyone like that again and run a mile if I see someone like that in the world 
but God, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be in, have been in a romantic relationship with that kind of person or indeed to be related to have them as a father or a mother. Well, I can relate to the, the latter, but that, but we won't go into that today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think this is profound work you're doing because when it, when it comes to that romantic entanglement and that sense of you've given yourself intimately to somebody, and then to be betrayed on that level that I was betrayed at in the workplace. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like that would just be like having your soul ripped out. Yeah, it is. And they also have, um, quite often, they have a lot of affairs too, because that's something that gives them a great buzz. They're not actually emotionally involved in them, but the fact that they can actually bed somebody is just, you know, another notch on their uh, ego trip. So quite often there's that going on as well. They're quite often, as well as the mental abuse, the emotional abuse, there's also financial abuse. So they're quite clever to sort of cut you off from money. You know, that's quite often why they'll say, you don't need to work anymore. Uh, You know, I'll look after all of that. And then you find yourself isolated financially too. And then you, you have no idea of you know, how the bills are paid or what money you need. or So you've, you've kind of put yourself in a position that they've manipulated you into that you can't get out of very easily. And like you say, you can walk away from a boss and then you'll know in future what red flags to look for. But if it's a parent, it's really, really difficult. And I'm working with somebody at the moment who, you know, every time they come back, they love bomb them. And of course, they want that. They want to really feel that their mother really, really, truly loves them. And they don't want to believe that this person is a narcissist. You know, she writes to him all the time saying, you know, she's finished with him. She doesn't want to know him anymore as a child. He can, And then the next minute he'll get another email saying, oh, you know, oh, really, we have a lovely relationship. It's very bizarre. Mm-hmm. And of course, then he's sucked back in. So with a parent, it's really, really difficult. And, you know, I work with this particular client so that we can actually find a way because it's really affecting his health because mm. it really does not only mental health but it, it manifests also in physical ways uh, ways to actually manage and realize that sometimes even though it's a mother you need to walk away yeah. for your own good so I mean I do have some some experience of that as you know and I think the hardest thing in that situation is when other siblings think tell you that you're a terrible person for going no contact and sort of having to deal with the judgment of people around you who say that you really are not being a loving, kind or dutiful daughter or whatever by doing what what you feel is you need to do to stay sane and alive. (laughs) It's very, very hard when you come up against other people's opinions. What would you say to someone who's in that situation? Well, what you need to realize that a narcissist um, doesn't, if they want to discard, they want to do the discarding. They don't want you to do the discarding. Mm-hmm. So they employ what I call flying monkeys. And in that, this case, you were talking about siblings who will be engaged, detailed into giving you that feedback because they want you back for that source that you give them. So you just have to realize that they are being manipulated too. <laughs> They don't know it and you probably can't tell them that. So you just have to really go with what you've decided. And if you've decided no contact, you have to go with it and realize that 
you've been manipulated by that person and your siblings are being manipulated too. It's just another thing that a narcissist does. Where did you find the strength? Because it, it doesn't happen overnight, does it? This being able to, like you're talking about your client who's trying to extricate himself from his mother, you know. Mm. I would say I'm sort of somewhere on that journey in my own life, but it, it doesn't have, it's not like you can wake up one day and go, oh, they're a narcissist and therefore I'm going to have no contact. And would you say that, that it's a kind of slow process of trialing and erroring and, and working out how much pain you can stomach before you? Before yeah. I mean, this, this person's in his late thirties, so mm. it's taken him that long because he kept going back for more because, you know, she'd suck him back in. But I think he gets to a point where also narcissists do have habits. They get older of getting worse. And he's just had so much now. And he has a new a partner in his life who's quite strong and has actually said to him, you know, look, as well, this, this needs to stop. So it gets to the point where they give you so much abuse that you just have to draw a line because mm-hmm. you've gone back so often, you know, you've given the olive branch out and it's been taken and then thrown back in your face so many times that eventually you just say to yourself enough's enough and this person's actually just going no contact so but it took that long yeah it's it's a very long process I've, I've, there's a friend in my life at the moment who's a man and his mother is she's really trying to I would say go as far as to say ruin him you know and and it's all to do with a family business and trying to get him to hand over his share of the family business because he wants, she wants one of the other siblings to run it because she says he's not capable of running it anymore, even though he's run it for five years and not taken proper paychecks. And she's, she's been promising that he's going to be paid and now he's not going to be paid. And, but you know, it's all just, and, and actually the worst thing about it is the, the fact that she's favoring the siblings over him and destroyed the relationships between the siblings so you know he's really really isolated um his wife is absolutely standing by him but it's absolutely tragic to watch because I do think you know men are particularly and you you might have a better idea of this than me because I'm not a counsellor but I would say men do find it more difficult to talk about these sorts of things and talk about their emotions and feelings and to be basically betrayed by your own mother is pretty hardcore, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, I've got another client who's actually very similar thing with a family business. The mother has decided that she didn't agree with some shares that were handed over to the son earlier, even though she signed it, and she's now reported it to the police saying it was fraud. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, so the, that, with their own son, there's, there's no depths that they won't sink to. And I think that's astounding, isn't it? Because you think... You can understand it really, you know, if it was a relationship, but when it's a mother and they've given birth, to mm. stoop to those sort of levels is just sort of really awful. But you just have to realise that it's them and it's not you and, and just move on from it. But it, it's just, you know, you kind of even, I was surprised at, at that one, to report your own son to the police is, is just, you know, but again, you know, that's, more those when those things happen that's when the camel's back is kind of broken and you realize you know there's just there's no way you can yeah. ever go back from that sort of relationship but it's all about you know the power that they have to have in charge of everything and, and have the power 
They find it very difficult to switch off. You know, certainly with your boss, you probably found that, you know, if he ever had a holiday, he probably never stopped work because work can't manage without them because they're the piece in the wheel, the cog that keeps everything going. And they're frightened of walking away for a holiday because somebody else might be better than they are. Mm. So it's that's that sort of power thing that, that's going on there. I, you know, it's, it's difficult. I just think, I do think it's interesting though. I compare it a little bit like to having a rock bottom around for me, because I'm a recovering alcoholic. I know that I had to keep going until it got too painful for me to want to do it anymore. I, I mean, I could have kept going back for more, mm. but after a while I was just like, nah, okay. Why would I keep on doing something that's making me feel really, really bad and ruining my life on, on many levels? So I'm going to draw, I'm going to do whatever it takes to stop that from happening. And I think dealing with a narcissist is similar. It's like you can keep going back for more and think that you can manage it to a point, but actually it takes being reported to the police or something, you know, maybe I I personally had an experience where my children were being told things that just were not, I was just not, I was like, nah, okay, if you're going to start getting my children involved, we're going to draw a line under this one. Thank you very much. So, you know, at some point we all sort of, if you have a narcissist in your life, I think you have to work out where your own line in the sand is and say enough's enough and take whatever action is necessary for you to take. And, but I guess everyone's got a different line in the sand, haven't they? Yeah. And it takes, it's different, you know, with me, my line in the sand came after finding out yet about another infidelity. And, you know, it was just the final push that I kind of needed. And for me, that was it. There was no going back, nothing. However much he didn't actually even want to end it because I was doing the discarding um, and that's not really allowed. So, But they will always hoover back. It's, they will always come back. And one of the times they'll always come back is they use it as an excuse. It's either your birthday or it's Christmas or something. That's That's one of the most... Common times they'll hoover back, you know, you'll get a little email saying, oh, you know, happy birthday, have a nice drink today, you'll deserve it. And suddenly that, you know, it's, that's just to see, open the conversation again, just to see if they can get back in there. Because they can't, you know, they'll always want to get back and they will always have a string of what I call supplies. You know, that's why they have affairs if you're in a relationship, because they're supplies, because they don't actually like being on their own narcissists. They can't live on their own. So they always want to be with somebody. So they'll always have targets, as I call them, lined up. Yeah, But I think everybody eventually finds their line in the sand. You just have to be careful because narcissists target people who are very empathetic. So you're very likely to attract that sort of person again without realising it. So you, one of the things I teach my clients is all about red flags and how to look for them um, for the next time because that does happen. Interesting. That's really interesting. You don't just work with people who are getting divorced or ending relationships with narcissists. You work with people who are, you know, getting divorced, don't you? So yeah. So obviously not everyone is getting divorced from a narcissist. No. So I I specialize in people who've been married a long time. I specialize in the area that I experienced myself because I think I'm a great believer and you have to have gone through it yourself to understand and help somebody recover. Mm. So it's people who've, who've been married a long time later in life when they're getting divorced. And also if you're getting divorced 
in a country where you weren't born in. So my divorce mm. um, happened in Switzerland uh, in German. So I spoke French, not German. So, you know, it's getting divorced, um, almost like expat divorces as well. Um, that's where I specialise, and also in cases of infidelity, because I had experienced that a lot. I don't tend to get involved too much where there's younger children, because I didn't have a divorce when the children were younger. So, I, and I do genuinely believe you need to have had that experience yourself. What I do get involved in, though, now is with children and co-parenting, and the children are, you know, older, uh, not too young. So, because obviously. The problem is even in a divorce from a narcissist, for instance, you're always still going to have contact with them because you're co-parenting. So I help in those situations manage the co-parenting and manage the narcissist in that way. But in, in terms of just divorce, not from a narcissist, then the areas that I specialise in don't involve younger children. I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to have those kinds of issues with a an ex-husband or or wife around you know if you if you're divorcing a narcissist and you've got children with them I can't even begin to imagine the minefield of what you would have to go through to make that work yeah and it is a minefield and you know it's quite often they want to go back to court they just any excuse and they'll still be using the financial control even though they've been told what maintenance they need to give quite often they're withholding it or the late anything to make an excuse and you obviously you can't go no contact but you can go something that I call grey rock to help and that's a strategy you can use with them and with the children obviously you can't call them but what I say is you know be functionally polite to the other partner and then correct any misinformation with the children but don't call them because there's a lots of misinformation because as you mentioned you know narcissists are pathological liars and I think they almost believe the lies themselves. And sometimes it's a small lie because they lie because they can lie and they're just into that habit. So and they'll lie to the children. They'll use the children because as flying monkeys in the same way, because they haven't got empathy for the children either. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Because, you know, even though you've divorced them, you, you're suffering because you're watching your children actually being exposed to abuse as well because the problem is there's no grounds in the divorce court certainly in England for you know there is now for emotional abuse and da, 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 to get the divorce but it doesn't protect the children and narcissists when they're going to court to maybe fight over who's going to have the children when of course the charmer is there in the court mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're very good at that they love that that's the center stage for them so it's often judges are quite fooled by them too. And I just feel you know, it's like you've almost, you've got rid of them in a way, but you haven't until the children reach 18. You're going to have to constantly cope with that. Mm. If they've got a new partner, quite often they move, it's better because they kind of move on. But it's still a little bit in, in, in the way that they've got other, they've got another supply. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, all I know is that it's incredibly important work that you're doing. And I I thought it was quite interesting, you know, because you said something, what did you say to me? Something like, oh, yes, people don't necessarily want to follow a divorce coach on Instagram. No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, because they don't want people to see that they're following one because they're not, because people have still got a bit of a stigma about, you know, being divorced and don't want other people to to know that they're even thinking about it and following a divorce coach. Well, why are you you doing that? So, yeah. So I have a lot of what I call them. 
onlookers who don't follow me, but they're looking at my posts and things. So as long as I'm helping, that's all that matters. Yeah. And you are really helping. I know you're really helping loads and loads of people. And certainly I've reached out to you and spoken to you about uh, some sort of someone that's a bit of a problem in my life. So, and I'm really grateful for your help around that. And I know that it was fantastic advice and I'd highly recommend anyone does have questions over uh, a relationship in their life, be it romantic or familial that and they and they need some advice that that they reach out to you and book a discovery call or or something like yeah that. I can have a discovery call and then we can see you yeah. know what we can what we need to work on and how we need to do it yeah so one of the questions that I love to ask my interviewees before we close the conversation is what are your three gems of wisdom that you would give the younger you or or maybe a, a younger person who was starting out much earlier on in life than you now and well my first one is listen to your gut instincts because I've found if I'd listened to that earlier it was always there it's that little voice telling me what I should be doing yet I let my heart rule my head so that would be the first one I think the second one would be you know go out enjoy life live it every day because being in a relationship with a narcissist you realize how precious life is and how awful it is walking on eggshells. So mm. I think, you know, never, ever give up on your gut and actually living your life to the full. That's one. And my second one is, the third one, sorry, is make sure you keep healthy. Because I live a very healthy lifestyle and I think I'm very much into healthy body, healthy mind. And I think with that attitude, it's got me a long way in my life. Mm. Yeah, I think they'd be the three things. Thank you. And I think I think the latter one is really interesting because I know that when I've been, you know, because I, I try and keep healthy, fit and eat well. And But even then, when I'm going through a stressful period with the, the sort of possible narcissist in my life, that you know, my body suddenly finds itself under a lot of strain, you know, whether it's aches and pains that manifest from nowhere or headaches and, or just extreme fatigue. And, and I would say that if you're going to be fit for the fight, as it were, you've got to be putting the right nutrients in and getting enough sleep and all of that kind of stuff. And if you're not, you're, you're sort of starting on the back foot, aren't you? Yeah, because you, you can't think clearly, you can't take rational decisions and you're actually letting somebody else impact your life in a negative way. So I'm really, really into a great way. The one thing that I really, really love to do, if there's something burring around in your mind, too many open tabs, as I call it, is go for a walk, go in nature. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the best thing I can ever do. And it's something I did in, when I was going through the divorce bit, which is quite a journey with a narcissist. I walked a lot. And so for me, it's really key to your mental well-being: is keeping healthy, eating well, exercising a lot. Yeah, I've noticed that you do a lot of cross country. Is it cross country skiing or skiing? I know I do da- um, downhill. Yeah, yeah. I've been loved. I'm so sad that you've left. Um, <laughs> so I won't get any more ski shots on this. I know. Yeah, I've still got a few to put on, but yeah. But I just, yeah, it was a shame. But I was a bit worried as well that France were going to close down the borders, and I was driving as well because I think they were talking about closing them down, weren't they? But they haven't. But. They haven't. Although they've made it very, very difficult for non-EU citizens to come into France. That includes the UK, so yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm just, I mean, we're talking at the beginning of February and I'm really, I mean, one of the 
problems I've had is my sons coming out here. So God willing, they will be allowed across at the border because it's repatriating them to their mother. But because be I'm not in a relationship with a narcissist, because my husband is actually a ro- lovely man, and although we are getting divorced, it's very amicable, but he is bringing them to me. But we don't have a court order. I'm hoping that they'll still let him across um, the border I'm with them. I'm sure that'll be fine. I mean, my son's in America, so that's another conundrum. <laughs> yeah. Your son's a bit older, isn't he? Yeah, he's older. He's 20. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah. So he can travel on his own, but when he'll be able to get back, I don't know. But you just have to go with the flow at the moment and just, you know... Let's it's just... all about keeping it in the day, isn't it? And, yeah. and not projecting too far forward. Yeah, because there's no point. So, yeah. So no idea. I mean, I'm, I've booked a little holiday for May, but I just, I don't even know whether we'll be going camping in May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to get back, I'm trying to get back to, to Cyprus in March. I think, I mean, the, the flights are still there. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, well, I hope we get back to Cyprus. That's yeah. Um, Janet, thank you so much. No, for thank time. you. Thank you. It's you. Been really nice talking to you. And if yeah, I can help I, just one person, it means everything. I know. And and I know personally uh, on different levels, the pain that this causes because it's so, it's just so visceral. It's not like being dumped by in a normal relationship or being sacked by a normal boss. It's it's different level of, of pain. So if if people are listening to this and feeling that or identifying with anything we've discussed, I would urge you to reach out to Janet to see if she could help or point you in the right direction. So thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank, thank you, you. Janet. Okay. No, thank you. Care. All right. Yes. Take care. See Bye. you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my Live the Change podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing or texting a link to the show or for sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission is to share heart-led business experience, strength and hope with as many people as possible. I'm proud to be building a sharing, caring and service-focused business movement that I'm so glad you're here to be part of. If you haven't done so already, help me build by following me on social at Lucy Hutchings Hunt or by getting on my list at lucyhutchingshunt.com. And remember, we rise by lifting and being of service to others and by finding our own unique and personally fulfilling ways to live the change. Till next time.